This podcast may contain projection, exaggeration, sensitive discussions, and dark humor. We do not condone violence or harm to anyone for any reason. All opinions are of our own and do not reflect the opinions of our places of work and or friends and family. Positive side effects may include, but not limited to, patriotic desires, Benjamin Martin syndrome, throwing tea in a harbor, an erection lasting longer than three hours, red, white, and blue stool, sudden thirst for communist tears, beer bonging and whiskey, sudden craving for excessive amounts of bacon, and waking up in Mexico with blood on your clothes and a torn ticket from an illegal donkey show. Hello, kids. Welcome to Small Town Famous. This is a new episode I have today, something new we're doing. Um, I want to call it Career Spotlights. And I have my buddy Drew on the line, who was a dispatcher. And I will let him give his little introduction on how long he's done it. And we'll go from there. All right. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I'm Drew. And I, uh, so I've been a dispatcher for about 10 years, a uh, few different places. So just recently got out of the business and, uh, yeah, happy to be here. Right on. Yeah. So this is a little different for me. So we're just kind of winging it. You're, you're testing me out with, uh, like the phone connected to all my recording stuff. And I think we're good to go right now. Um, before we get started, what you drinking? Oh uh, man, I got a, I'm on bottle number two of some red wine. Bottle so number... Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> so, <laughs> bottle number two, huh? So you're like on the fifth glass. Uh, Oh, I wouldn't even say that. Honestly, they're pretty, pretty heavy pours. So oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Maybe number four. <laughs> nice. I got a uh, some Maker's Mark, but it's like from their private selection. My dad got it for me for Christmas, and I keep meaning to ask one of my bourbon whiskey experts on the difference between this Maker's Mark and regular Maker's Mark because it's not, it's not regular. So yeah, yeah I do love me some Maker's though. Yeah, you know, I took a break from drinking it for about two years because I think regular Maker's Mark, it does something to my stomach. Like, I don't know, it's like a heavy carbonation feeling in my stomach and I end yeah. up like verping for like two hours before I belch extremely loud and then I'm good to go after that. But yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, this one doesn't do that though, so I'm actually, I'm pretty happy about that. Well, so, I drink gasoline if you put a lime in it, so... Oh yeah, I'm. I I was too lazy to get ice, so I'm drinking this dry right now. Is what it is. Yeah. So, dispatcher, one of my favorite dispatchers. Everyone, um, <laughs> I, I met Drew in Montana. Met him through my sister and her husband, and mm-hmm. we've stayed connected ever since. And I've been wanting to have him on this show just to talk about dispatching. Uh, maybe share funny stories. Don't have to share. <clears throat> The serious stuff, whatever you're comfortable with, I get it. Um, being a first responder myself, but I know there's dozens of probably calls that make you roll your eyes. Um, I can't even imagine, to be honest. But uh, way, way too many. Yeah, I mean, I do get to listen to it, like with my with my pager and on the radio, and just the type yeah. of calls coming in. But obviously, I never hear the actual phone call. But. Right. Uh, yeah, like I said, I tried Googling questions on what the hell to ask you, and all I got was interview questions as if I was going for a dispatcher spot. So I guess we'll just <laughs> wing it and play it by ear and ask the basic ones, what got you into dispatching to begin with? Uh, yeah, so I uh, – funny story. I, so I was in EMT school at the time, and um, um, my plan was to eventually be a flight medic. And I came home one day, and there was an article in the newspaper. I was, let's see, I was 19? No, I was 20. I just turned 20. And there was an article in the newspaper that my uh, hometown was looking for some dispatchers, and my mom had mentioned it to me. And she's like, I think that would be great for you because you were so nosy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that actually sounds really fun. And, you know, I've, I grew up in a family of first responders, so, you know, we used to fall asleep listening to the scanner and stuff because that was at times that was the only way that we could even hear my dad's voice. He was gone so much. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was pretty familiar with it and you know, we heard some pretty cool stuff. And when she mentioned that, I was like, I am really nosy. So that's accurate. And, uh, you know, I think it would be awesome to, I I was, I wasn't really enjoying AMT school. So at like halfway through, I already knew that I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. So that was like perfect timing. And uh, so I did finish ENT school and I applied for that. And that's really what got me into it is, uh, I mean, I knew ultimately in some sort of fashion, I wanted to help people. So it was that and a combination of, you know, knowing all the good stuff and knowing what was going on. 
Yeah, I I can agree with you on EMT school. I've never been. Uh, someday I kind of plan on possibly getting my EMT one. Um, mm-hmm. I know we're we're separate, so we have EMS and fire is separate, and right. we do assist a lot on medical calls. And I'm always intrigued, like when EMS finally shows up and they're doing what they do and I, and I watch closely, but at the same time, like, God, that's a lot to fucking remember. <laughs> I mean, yeah. especially when you're handling it, like doing all the stuff on the actual uh, patient, like, I don't know, man, that would make me so nervous, but. Right. And I mean, obviously it's one of those things where you don't get trial and error. So like you got to get it right the first time. And there's, there's a lot to remember. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Like medications and, and dosages yeah. and freaking leads and, and IV. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. We'll right. see. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, so did you have, so what kind of, sh- like what, what does a typical shift look like when it comes to being a dispatcher? Like hour, like lengthwise, how long are your shifts? Um, you know, did you get like two years of working the night shift or a shitty shift to begin with? How did that start? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a little different everywhere you go. Um, so I've, I've been with three different agencies. I've been with one major metropolitan agency. Um, but for the most part, you're generally looking at 10 to 12 hour shifts. Um, you usually, I mean, it's basically, um, a totem pole, right? So the, the newer you are, the crappier of the shift you get. Um, so I have worked places where, you know, um, night shift gets a shift differential and it's like 12% of your pay. So you get a lot of the older people who don't want to get off that shift because they're so used to that extra money. Yeah. But then I've worked places where there is no shift differential and absolutely nobody wants to work night shifts. So you're stuck there for years and years and years until someone either retires or quits or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, generally you look at 10 to 12 hour shifts. You almost always start out, um, on a shitty shift. So like for the major metropolitan city that I worked for, the quote unquote shitty shift was the mid shift. So, mm-hmm. you know, we worked from three to 11 PM, which was perfect for me because then I'd go out and party, you know, and do my stuff and sleep in all day. And, uh, I thought that was a great shift, but no one else wanted to be on that shift. So, um, it really just depends on where you're at, you know, what you're doing. And some places they separate their, their dispatchers from their call takers. I've worked in places like that where, and some places you simultaneously dispatch and call take and you do both. So, you know, it just, it depends. Um, but yeah. So what do you mean by that? So there's actually someone who answers the call and then transfers that person to an actual dispatcher with the information and that person relays the message to whomever. How does that work? So something similar to that. Um, so, for instance, the metropolitan city I worked for, uh, there were call takers, and the call takers, um, they answered the calls for police, fire, and medical. Okay. Um, all three of those agencies were technically separate entities, but we all shared the same CAD system, which is a computer-aided dispatch system. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that the call taker put in, uh, all three agencies could see that stuff. And, uh, so like, say it was a, you know, a car crash, right? Mm-hmm. So you need police, fire and medical. So all three agencies see that. And although they hire all their people separately and they're not all one big entity, they all dispatch their own units to that. Gotcha. Um, where I've also worked places where you take the call and you're the same person taking the call as you are dispatching the call. I, you know, you're dispatching either law enforcement or police, fire, and medical, or if you're super short staffed, you're doing all three. So, you know, that's cool. Yeah, I, I think I feel like our dispatch is that way. I should probably understand our local dispatch a little bit more, but uh, I know I I feel like they rotate sometimes. <clears throat> like sometimes you'll be dispatching for fire only, and then sometimes mm-hmm. that person. I could be wrong. I feel like that's what I, I know a handful of them. I should just freaking ask, but right. Um, I, I personally, I don't know if I could do that though, to be honest. I've yeah, thought that's about the thing. It's, it's a hard job. Um, especially, you know, I will say when I worked for a large city, um, that was my favorite dispatching job I ever had. And my favorite part about it was we never had to talk on the phone really. So mm-hmm. we strictly dispatched law enforcement and we only, I mean, if, if we did talk on the phone, it was the officers calling directly to our desk, you know, to talk to us mm-hmm. or whatever. So we never had to talk to citizens. 
And that was the best part about it because you were completely separate from the call takers. Um, the only downside I ever thought of that is, you know, when you're, when you're dispatching the call, there's always a certain amount of questions that either you want to know or the responders want to know. And uh, sometimes it's hard to get that through to the call takers when it's a whole separate entity. Um, so, you know, if cops were like, oh, how many people are involved? You know, like, oh, shoot, I don't know. And if I were on the phone with them, I would ask that question immediately. But then you have to type that question into the call, hope that the call taker sees it, hope that they ask it in a timely manner, and then, you know, wait for the response and then tell your responders. So it's, it's a huge time delay in something like that. Yeah, it sounds like it could add to a lot of uh, confusion sometimes, especially if yeah. the caller calling in is in some frenzy or panic, which is another thing. Like, I don't even know how you guys deal with that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get too Everyone's deep. Everyone's always in a frenzy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't want to get too deep in the like the dark side of the frenzy, but I can imagine like it, yeah. it must suck not being able to really help the person on the other line. And yeah. So, you know, that's the only, that's kind of a bummer. You, you can do the best you can on the phone, you know, but it's, the mind is a crazy thing too. So when you, you hear these things, you know, people are telling you what's happening, you know, even if they're, say it's just someone that's just, you know, they've taken their ecstasy or they've taken their, you know, acid or whatever, and they're just really high out of their mind, but they sound legitimate. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I want to do the best I can to help this person. And the mind, like, what they're telling you and then where your imagination also takes you is like just much worse than maybe sometimes what things actually are. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the downside because, you know, the responders, they get on scene and the cops and paramedics and, and they can actually see what's going on or, or whatnot. But then a lot of times dispatchers are just left in the dark. So, you know, you're just left to wonder what happened or you're left to imagine like how bad it got or, you know, depending on where you work. Like I said, I've worked for several places. The smaller places, the cops are really good about calling in and being like, oh, no, this guy was just, like, high out of his mind. Yeah. No one was kidnapping him. Nothing was happening. <laughs> you know, but when <laughs> when you work for those larger agencies, you never get to hear that stuff. So you're like, were they being kidnapped? Like, are they dead now? Like, what's happening? Yeah. And I can relate uh, to a little bit of that. I know, like, some of the medical calls I've gone on, whether it's like CPR and we get like a pulse back and then EMS mm -hmm. takes them off. And like, I never, we never really see that person again. Um, right. I want to say like, for, at least for me, like eight times out of 10, we never really hear the end result of what happened to that. Um, a lot of the times if it's, you know, a younger person involved, uh, somebody in the department finds out what happened and it trickles down and we hear it. Um, but right. I, can, I can relate to that a little bit. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of times where that person, once we're done working on them, they're gone and we don't really know the end result, which, which sucks. Um, but yeah. I can imagine it's worse for you guys just because you're, you're kind of that first line of response, I suppose. And right. then it never really comes full circle. I've never really thought of that yeah. to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, smaller agencies, it's not as bad, uh, especially, you know, you get well acquainted with your responders for the most part. So, you know, they'll call in or, You'll, you'll call them and be like, hey, what happened with this guy or, or whatnot? But a lot of times you're just left in the dark because you go from that 911 call to another and another and another and another. And, you know, it's just you don't even have time to remember. It. And before you realize that you're at home in bed and you wake up like an hour later and like, oh, my gosh, I wonder what happened to this guy. Mm -hmm. And you never find out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh. It, it can be hard sometimes. It's just, you know, your imagine imagination takes you to some dark places sometimes. And and then sometimes you're like, mm, I think they were just, you know, out of their mind yeah. or whatnot. But, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll brighten things up a bit. I know you probably have dozens of ridiculous calls because they happen. And I always yeah. see stuff. Some Sometimes a ridiculous call will come in. And I don't want to say, you know, Folks, call 911 if you freaking need to. If it's an emergency, right. you know, this is my little disclaimer. But so let's just start with like the number one that sticks out of your mind that was, let's say, comical. Because like, I know those exist too. People call 911 <laughs> for anything. So if you can remember right. one of the most comical calls, go for it. 
Uh, I mean, the first one that sticks out in my mind is I answered a 911 call one day, and this guy was frantically screaming. But there was a really strong language barrier. So it took me a second to, like, get him to calm down. And uh, finally, when we got to, like, the problem, I was, you know, you know, he told me where he was at. He was at a restaurant. And I was like, okay, tell me what's going on. And talk really slowly because I'm having a hard time understanding you. And it all boiled down to he ordered a banana split from an ice cream shop. And they gave him everything except for the banana. And it like, it absolutely broke his heart. And he was just so incredibly upset by this that he felt like he needed to call 911 for it. And it's just like, I literally was like, I mean, I was dumbfounded. And I was like, okay, I just want to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding something. You're calling because you did not get a banana on your banana split. And he was like, exactly. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, things have dialed down way, way down from here. So, so I mean, but at the initial call, you know, there was so much frantic yelling and he was almost, almost crying. And I'm like, oh no, like something is going on with this guy. <laughs> and he just, I mean, he didn't get his potassium for the day. Dude, really is what it. That's, that, <laughs> that requires a 911 call, man. Like that, uh, <laughs> to, me, to me, that falls right in line with like the, internet famous lady who called 911 because McDonald's was out of fucking chicken nuggets. Oh, I, I believe it. And it was, it wouldn't <laughs> shock me. But, I mean, honestly, you know, after 10 years of doing it, nothing surprises me anymore. Right. Um, and sometimes you just have to laugh it off. And sometimes you're just like, is there any hope for us? <laughs> <laughs> Did, so do you ever get to like go back and listen to these recorded audio calls on some of these like comical ones do you guys like store these somewhere <laughs> like yeah so i mean everything in the 911 world is recorded so you know the from the phone calls to the radio traffic some agencies record every movement on your screen every click on your keyboard um so there are times where, you know, you hear some crazy stuff or you hear some really funny stuff and, you know, we kind of keep them in a little archive of, you know, and we use them to train new people because mm-hmm. uh, the big problem is, you know, there's never, there's never a shortage of finding people who want to be dispatchers. It's just a shortage of finding people who can actually do it. Right. Yeah. I imagine there's so, a big turnover. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people get in there and they're like, oh, I can answer phones and like tell cops what to do. But then they realize that that's not all there is to it. You're doing that. You're telling, you know, you're dispatching cops and police and fire and medical. And you've got two more 911s on hold. And there's, you know, you never get to eat your food on time and you don't get up for smoke breaks and you can't do all those things. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we use that stuff for training, you know, because we're like, it's not all serious, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you hear some terrible things, but also like you want to teach your trainees that there are going to be times where people call and it may be a legitimate emergency to them and it might be the worst thing that ever happened to them, but it's very minute in the realm of actual emergencies. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we save that stuff, you know, sometimes just for training and sometimes uh, just to... (laughs) just to remind ourselves that <laughs> <laughs> there's still a little joy in the world. Right. Uh, I yeah. think like one call that I feel I hear like 17 times a year and please tell me if you've heard it. I know you have 10 years. You've had to run into a couple dozen of these, um, anal leakage or anal bleeding. Oh yeah, man. I've heard that one a few times. I, I wouldn't have ever realized like how common that is. And Mm -hmm. I've never gone on one of these calls. Like sometimes depending on the seriousness of it, they'll, they'll dispatch like rescue along with EMS, like whoever gets there first. Um, A lot of our, a lot of our guys will always have like one paramedic on shift who's a firefighter. So Mm -hmm. like they can, they can do all the medical stuff at least until EMS arrives. But I just can't believe like how often that happens. And, and that, and, or like, so one of the most ridiculous ones I remember nothing to do with anuses, but um, <laughs> there was like a 21 year old female who called 911 because she had a severe migraine from her period. Oh yeah. And I'm sure like, 
I, I get it. Like, that sounds ridiculous to us. The person was probably super scared. So I'm not discrediting this person calling 911. But I just, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's just crazy. Like, I know some people oh. call 911 because, like, they want the ride to the emergency room and they'll think they'll be, mm-hmm. like, priority number one as soon as they get there, which right. I don't think is necessarily the case for most hospitals. <laughs> like, you're still going to be in a queue. <laughs> depending right. unless you're like dying then obviously they'll probably move you up ahead of the line but mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah i mean go ahead. i've taken 911 calls literally for um you know i took a 911 call one day uh this gal had an ingrown toenail that she had had for three days and mm. she just couldn't take it anymore <laughs> and you know you you wonder you know that's there are certain things that your primary care provider is for right or you know a walk-in clinic or something and i'm not saying you know like I said earlier, this might be the worst thing that this person has ever experienced. Yeah. So it might be a 911 emergency to them, but there's also, especially nowadays, there's already such an influx of calls to 911. Um, and basically, I don't know any 911 center that's full staffed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you already got all these people um, as far as 911 centers, as far as police departments ambulance services uh and they're already running on fumes and then you got people calling for things like that and you can't just not go yeah so you know there's one problem and then they're calling for things that they could have taken care of on thursday or friday at their primary care doctor i mean come on yeah like they've had knee pain for seven days and they're finally doing something about it (laughs) right yeah and i mean people call 911 sometimes when they run out of their prescriptions and you're like i can't not send you somebody but i don't really know that that's not something you couldn't have taken care of on monday or tuesday or wednesday yeah (laughs) you know so yeah it's it's, sometimes it's just it's difficult because you know we're already short on resources as far as the first responder world goes Mm -hmm. and then you've got people who are just adding to it for really no reason um which just makes it difficult It's, it's hard on everyone yeah so when did you, uh, you said you're no longer a dispatcher. When did you stop doing that? Uh, so I just stopped at the beginning of the year. Okay. Yeah. So that means you were dispatching during the whole peak of COVID, correct? Yeah, I was. So, so how, how did that go for you in the area you lived in? So, you know, really it didn't do, um, it obviously did increase our call volume pretty severely. Um, but as far as what we did, protocol wise and stuff it, it basically just added a few more questions mm-hmm. um and you know and more questions obviously take more time and you know people already get frustrated with all the questions that you ask them you know which is kind of a bummer because you know we want to help you yeah but we do have certain questions that we need to ask either you know for the responders or just you know for ourselves so we know what you guys are going into and to give you a heads up you know and uh so it just added a, more, a few more questions, uh, definitely an influx of calls. And then I think one of the biggest problems that we saw too is it was an influx of, due to the influx of calls, longer wait periods for the ambulances. So there was a lot longer turnaround when we had more calls coming in. Ambulances were like, oh, we're still waiting to even drop this patient off because there are so many people. Wow. Um, you know, and if we can't dispatch you anywhere, we either have to stay on the phone with the caller or, you know, if something else comes in, we have to obviously either put them on hold or say, you know, they'll be there, but I don't know how long it's going to be. So sometimes you get stuck on these calls for 20, 25 minutes and you've got non-emergency phones ringing and you can't really put 911 calls on hold for non-emergency phones. So mm-hmm. it makes it difficult for everyone. I mean, I know the paramedics don't want to stand in the ambulance bay at the hospital for 20 minutes. And, you know, we don't want to be able to not dispatch a call for 20 minutes. So it's just a, it's it's a pretty vicious circle that, you know, was during the time, but protocol wise, it really didn't, it didn't do a huge impact for us. Yeah. That was nice. So do you think you, so I remember, you know, in my area, um, that first year of COVID, like roughly the springtime slash like summertime when it kind of started peaking in America, I suppose, I, uh-huh. dude, I remember, so we, we would call it a spit. We wouldn't say this is a COVID call. There was like a specific, um, like secret code we would say over the air 
um, of what yeah. it was. Uh, we'll just call it like signal five is what we'll call. This is a signal five to, to right. alert the first responder. Like this person is, is showing symptoms of COVID. And I remember there was one day it was like 45 signal five calls. Oh yeah. And it, it just yeah. ran through Cause like, if you think, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you remember my whole stance on COVID. Um, right. but we won't get into it, but you know, that, that COVID covered like every symptom in the book, even like no symptoms, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So like as soon, you know, when that, when that fear hit its peak, like people were calling 911, like if they had a sneeze, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, remember, it went from being, you know, you could be normal sick to there was no normalcy to sickness unless it was COVID, uh-huh. which, which made things difficult. Yeah, and I can remember, like, for a week straight, you know, EMS, we have this term up here um, called status zero when, like, all ambulances are, are, are in use. Like, every like they're doing something. There's absolutely no ambulances right. left for a 911 call. So I, I remember that for, like, actually, it felt like it was almost a mo- not a month straight, but, like, every single day for a month straight, we would hit status zero at least once a day for covid and who knows like yeah. you you would never know if these people actually had covid or not but because that right that fear aspect was so high you know someone's shit is a different color that day and they're like 911 i might have covid here's a symptom right. <laughs> right so yeah i can't even imagine dude i i remember before like i got into fire i was applying for dispatch and i've encouraged my wife to do it um a couple of years back because she's bilingual you know that's always like a perk oh yeah um but now, and I've had a couple friends like I, when I see our local dispatch hiring, which they always are. Uh, there's always a yep. position open. Um, I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I I feel you can do it, but you need to know like there's gonna be <laughs> there's gonna be times where you are 100% helpless, and all you can do is talk to the person right. until people show up. Um, right. So I I always like to kind of talk to folks that have done it for a while. Um, I don't know, man. I just, I couldn't even do it. Like I'm a first responder. I don't think I can do dispatch. Hell no. Well, you know, the beautiful thing about it, well, I wouldn't say beautiful, but, um, my favorite thing about the job, one of my favorite things was always that every day was different. You know, you never went in and had a bunch of paperwork sitting on your desk waiting for you or, you know, anything like that. You started every day fresh, but also you never knew what you were going to get. So that's the hardest thing for people is, you know, some people are just creatures of habit. Uh-huh. And so when they walk in and every day is fresh and they never know what's going to happen when they pick up that phone, some people just can't handle it. So it's one of those gigs where some people would be really good at it, but either they're too afraid to try. Um, but it's also like, it's one of those jobs where you'll never know unless you do it. Yeah, you can't sure. just say, Oh, that sounds cool. I want to do that. I think I'd be really good at it because there's like, I hate to, there's like an art to it because there's no, like my life is a mess. So dispatching in the 911 world is perfect for me because my life is a mess. The 911 world is a mess. You know, you never know what you're going to get. You know, there's emergencies all the time. You got so many things going on. That's perfect for me. I've been practicing since I was five years old. I mean, come on. (laughs) I've been a disaster since I basically could stand up yeah oh so, you know but you never you just it's one of those gigs where until you do it you don't know if you can do it and i feel like even even if you go in with that mindset like you might have you might not get that dark call until like a month right. in you know like you might yeah. get it easy that first month and it's all a bunch of yeah. you know i won't i don't want to say silly stuff not silly stuff but not serious stuff to you Um, Mm -hmm. and then you might be a month or two in and you get that call where someone's trying to do CPR on their loved one and you're trying to walk them through it and they might not be in the mindset of actually performing that. And, you know, time is, is life, I suppose. Right. And you have like less than 10 minutes to even get there before that person can be, you know, pronounced clinically brain dead if you're not doing proper CPR. So yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's a handful of dispatchers for their voices. I, I've recognized for the last few years, but there's always someone like new. I feel every couple months that come in 
Oh, it's a never ending circle of a revolving people. I mean, they just come in and they come out. And, you know, I've had trainees before that the first phone call I let them answer, it's someone who is, you know, it's a CPR or someone that's shot themselves or whatever. And I've had trainees that have walked out for six to eight months and they've never really taken a call like that. And when they do, that's when they're like, no, I can't do this. And you're like, man, you've made it eight months. Like, I mean, I know maybe you've never had anything like this, but you can do the job. But sometimes it's just the mental taxing problems that people just, you know, you go home and you realize you can't sleep for a week because of what you just heard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've been doing the job for eight months and you're good at it, but you can't put up with the stress and the, uh, essentially the PTSD from it. So yeah. it's, it's sad to see. It's, it takes a special kind of person. Um, it, I, I think that goes for all first responders. But generally in the world, no one considers, you know, 911 dispatchers first responders, which is unfortunate, but that's exactly what they are. Oh, um, yeah. I've always, I have, there's always like this little, uh, like hidden, <laughs> I don't want to call it a war, but hidden debate always going on oh, if, if dispatchers are first responders. And I always felt like yeah. personally, and some of the guys, I, I don't think any of the, our first responders that I work with um, would disagree but you, it's to me, it's obvious. Like dispatchers, you're the first person, right? You know, so I've always thought, like, yeah, you guys are definitely should be lumped into the first responder realm because it's only it only makes sense to me being the first person right. that this person in the stress talks to, and then you dispatch their problem in as plain text as possible to the guys actually going and doing it. So um, I've always kind of been on that boat. Like, yeah, they're, they should be in the first responder realm, hands down. Yeah. Um, so yeah. go ahead. Cool. I was just going to say, I mean, slowly but surely it's, it's becoming more frequent that, you know, some states have done it independently. Some counties inside of states have even done it independently and they've, you know, they've, started classifying their dispatchers as first responders but i was just going to say i've heard the flip side of the argument where you know i've worked with some responders that are like all you guys shouldn't be first responders you never even know what you're dispatching like you never know what you're talking about but what they don't understand is like it's also frustrating for us because you know people call us and they're like oh my husband's trying to do this my husband's trying to do that he's trying to beat me and then they get there and their husband's out working in the garage doing absolutely nothing. Like it's frustrating for us too. Like we only know what we're told. Yeah. So, you know, we're just relaying that information. So yeah, sometimes we don't know what we're talking about, but it's, we're literally telling you exactly what we've just been told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is. <laughs> so like, that's all that we, ha- we don't have a bird's eye view of what's going on. So when you guys get there and then you're like, Oh, her husband was out working in the garage and he didn't even know that she called that one. You're like, what the, I, what? Yeah. It's, I, it's frustrating for us too, but I, I know it's frustrating for the responders when they get there and they're like, yeah, that dispatcher doesn't know what they're talking about. Like that was not happening. <laughs> so I've never, so. never personally run into that. Um, at least on calls that I've been on and maybe yeah. it has happened, but in my mind it's already like automatic. Okay. Like don't shoot the messenger. Right. And I imagine you guys yeah. get shot at a lot, not really, but I mean, you guys get, you guys take the heat a lot because, and I think some folks need to remember, like, don't ever shoot the messenger because it's not like you guys are going to bend the story of the caller. Right. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. And why would you do that to begin with? Right. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, that would benefit nobody at that point. And we're just relaying what we've been told. And maybe she just wants attention from her husband. I don't know, but I'm telling you what she told me. So like, it doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about. It just means that the person I'm talking to also doesn't know what she's talking about. And I'm just (laughs) relaying that to you. You're just repeating. It's just a game of telephone. really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, So so what about, so let's, let's, let's kind of concentrate on the folks that might be interested in doing dispatching. Um, first off, have you ever done like interviews for new dispatchers or not? I have. Um, I actually spent the last, let's say probably the last two years, um, shortly before I left doing interviews for new hires for dispatchers. So, so I do have some experience, some like, so yeah, like insider stuff. So right off the top of your head, don't have to go deep into it. Um, just some advice 
for when someone is interviewing for a dispatcher position, what would you kind of give this person before they, uh, or while they're in the interview, I, I guess. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, obviously I can't really touch on any questions I'd be asked. It's, it's different everywhere, but, uh, first of all, I would just say like, you know, go in and be confident because, you know, if you walk in and you're really meek and timid, that's, that's going to be one of the first things that we look at. So, you know, if you're meek and timid and we're going to be like, okay, you know, sometimes cops can be really, you know, they can be hard on you because they're in stressful situations. And then if you do something wrong or whatever, you know, you might get snapped at. And it's not to say that it's out of meanness, but sometimes it's just out of high, high tension, high stress situations that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you come in and you, you seem all like frail and meek and whatnot, uh, we're just automatically going to think, oh, I just don't think that they're going to be able to handle it. Yeah. Right. And then you're going to hear some terrible things. So same situation. Remember, uh, I don't know. Um, so really just, I mean, go in, be confident. Um, and I would say definitely just, I wouldn't say watch any movies about dispatching, <laughs> but I mean, there are some actual legit documentaries and stuff now. Uh, I think there's one about a dispatch center or several dispatch centers in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, I actually know a person that was on there. <laughs> I haven't watched yeah. it yet, but I want to. Yeah. I I don't remember what it's called. I did watch like an episode or two of it and uh, it's, it's pretty lit. It gives you a pretty good idea of actually what's going on. So I'd say kind of do your research um, know what you're getting yourself into before you actually go to the interview. And then, you know, just really that's, I mean, that's the two big things. We, we just look for people that, you know, seem confident and, you know, no, I'm a terrible interviewer. Honestly, I'll tell you, if, if I go into a job interview, I act like it's my first day talking. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a great example, but um, I will say at least, to this point in my life, I mean, I know what I'm doing. I, I know the job. But when I first started, I was so nervous in the interview. I almost didn't get the job. I mean, they told me that after the fact. I was just so nervous. And they are like, oh, we just thought that you would be so, like, timid and whatever. But I'm, which is the complete opposite of me. I mean, you always know where you stand with me. I'm super outspoken. Yep. But I was just nervous. So, it, I mean, it almost worked against me. Um and then I would, so yeah, like maybe watch some shows that like really give you an idea of what's going on. And then really one of the big things I would say is if you're one of those people that can only do one thing at once and you can't focus on anything else, either try to correct that. And multitasking is such a big thing. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, sometimes interviewers will do like, fire rounds at you like someone will ask you a question and then someone else or intentionally interrupt you oh wow. like just be mindful of things like that because they're looking for adaptation is essentially what we're looking for so gotcha. just try to be as adaptable as you can we don't expect you to know everything i mean honestly ultimately uh in most 911 centers i think i think the only requirement is like a high school diploma uh-huh. really like you don't have to have any dispatching experience. You don't have to have anything fancy. So we're just looking to see how confident you are, how adaptable you are. And, you know, and I've, I've heard some really terrible things. When they ask you what makes you want to be a, a, a dispatcher or a 911 call taker or whatnot, don't say the pay. Don't say the health <laughs> insurance. I mean, come on. Like yeah. if, if you really are there to help people, be honest about it don't feel like you're being cheesy. Don't, you know, that's the big thing. Just, just be honest about why you're there and, and make sure that that's reflected in what you're saying. Um, because I've heard so many times people literally just like, Oh, well the patient and that's all they, and then they just look at you like next question, please. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, okay, that's great. But, um, did you want to like help people or do you want to, you know, yeah, right. like contribute, <laughs> contribute to your community or like anything like that? I mean, we're just digging here. So yeah, that's crazy. I would I'm, say that's probably like the top three things. Yeah. Uh, so like off the top of your head, um, what kind of perks would a person coming in to interview? Like, I, I feel like bilingual would probably be a, a plus. I mean, 
I mean, I could speak oh, Russian, and then, and then I'd be interviewing for a dispatcher position where there's no Russians. But uh, like right. what other what other couple things that might help a person out, like give them an edge? Um, honestly, I, I mean, bilingual. I think that's great in anything that you do. Um, but there's really, like I said, the requirements are. I hate to say the requirements are low, but like it's because everything that you do, you're going to learn on the job, okay. right? So there's not anything that they're really looking for that you've done before because 911 isn't going to be like anything that you've ever done before unless you've actually done 911. Yeah. Um, so really it's just, I mean, people, they're just looking for your confidence. They're looking for how adaptable you are and resilient. And, you know, I think a big thing too that people need to realize is we're looking for morals and ethics. Uh So, you know, if you, if you tell us a story and you think it's funny, um, but it, it doesn't really shine a bright light on what kind of person you are, but you're trying to kind of come across as funny or whatever, that's not really, uh, we've had people do that and we're like, yeah, that kind of was a funny story, but like, that's actually the kind of person that they are. And yeah, that's not the kind of person that we want helping our community, whatnot. Um, and then, you know, I've heard stories where people, we've literally asked the question, why haven't you been working for two years? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, my grandfather was dying. So I literally quit my job to take care of him every single day. You know, I had to do his medicines and bathe him and feed him. And we're like, even if this person isn't super confident Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, they don't seem like they seem a little meek or timid. Like they're obviously here to help people. Like they obviously have that heart to do that. Yeah. So just don't be arrogant. Like, be confident. Don't be arrogant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's probably not a great answer, but there really is no great answer. Just, you know, we're just looking for people that, that really do want to kind of make the world a brighter place and, and help people out. And it's not just about the community or the citizens, but you're also there to help the responders and stuff like that. So, you know, we're just looking for people that, want to help they want to do good they've done good things i think you can have misdemeanors like for most 911 centers i think you can have a misdemeanor like as long as you can explain it yeah um because obviously that doesn't make you a bad person right sometimes you do stupid shit in your life and you're just like oh should have never done that um but yeah just be honest that's that's the big thing people are just looking for honesty and they're just looking for the people that really actually want to help instead of get really good health insurance and decent pay and that, because I tell you what, the hours and the shifts aren't worth the pay or the health insurance. (laughs) So you got to be there to actually help people and do something good for the world. Yeah. No, I I guess that was kind of a interesting or hard question, I suppose, because, you know, the job itself is going to filter out those that can and can't, Mm -hmm. as we've already discussed. So I can kind of see, um, having a bunch of certs, unless you've done dispatch for like 10 years in another city and you're interviewing for a, right. a different city. Um, right. I, I guess I can see like, yeah, they kind of, they'll take in people that don't have much at all and right. kind of judge you on your, your character and confidence. And then the rest yeah. is just written after you get the job or you don't. And if you do and you last, you know, a week, then I guess it filters itself out. <laughs> yeah. And then my long winded response, <laughs> Basically, what it boils down to is, you know, like I said, nothing, unless you've actually done 911, nothing that you've done before is ever going to compare to it. So we're, we're just looking for honest, good people that, you know, they, you can be adaptable and you can be dependable. And the biggest thing maybe too is just taking responsibility. So if say you do something stupid when you're 21 and you're applying for this job at 25, just take accountability for it. So yeah, I I did do that. I screwed that up because that's going to, when you say, say something bad happens in your career in 911 and you accidentally get someone killed, no one wants the person that's going to be like, Oh, that wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Like they want the person that's going to be like, yeah, I screwed that up. I'm really sorry. Like I take full accountability for that. And you know, whatever needs to be done can be done. So just, you know, be accountable for your actions too. Uh, Cause they're going to dig up everything in your past. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're going to go, they're going to look at your credit score. They're going to go talk to your neighbors. 
they're going to go talk to ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends. I mean, it's not a joke. Like, they really dig that deep. Wow. So anything that you think may come up, tell them. Just be honest and be accountable for it. That's really the biggest thing because they're going to fine-tooth comb your entire life. That's crazy. And I've been a part of, like, uh, being a reference of those, like, especially for police officers. I've, I've been a reference for, like, three of my cop friends. And they're mm-hmm. like, so where do you want to meet to discuss so-and-so? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you're having an interview with me in person somewhere in public yeah. to talk about so-and-so? Yeah. yeah. No, I believe it. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I've literally had a friend text me that I haven't spoke to in, like, years. And they're like, so this person just called me about, are you applying for a job? I'm like, what? <laughs> How do they even know about you? <laughs> yeah, right? That's nuts, man. Oh, I believe it, though. Yeah. It's it's like government, I suppose. <laughs> right. And you have, you know, just like cops, I mean, you have access to all this confidential information. So, you know, there are all these systems that you can look up your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend. And, then, and yeah, it's going to get you arrested if you get caught. So we want to make sure that we're not going to find those kind of people that are going to be like, Oh, I wonder what so-and-so is doing from high school. Yeah. You know, I know so we got to, <laughs> yeah. So you have access to all the stuff that we don't want you going through unless you absolutely need to. Um, and it's a big thing. So they're going to, they're going to go through every inch of your life from basically the day that you were born until the day that you put in that application. And that's, I mean, anything's going to come out. Everything's going to come out. Mm. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would want to do that. I'm kind of glad I am where I am now. Like this is pretty much the last job I'll ever work until I die. Hopefully unless I fuck it up. But, um, so one more kind of serious question and then we'll end it on another comical story. So it's positive, but let's say there's folks, you know, that are in dispatching now because you're no longer, you're no longer doing it. What advice do you have for them? Maybe a new dispatcher, but how how do you, I'm trying to word this correctly. What advice do you have for someone in regards to like emotionally detaching from those bad calls? How, how, what, what do you recommend some of these people do to, to, uh, I don't know, cope with it better, uh, get along with it better. I I don't know how to word it, but I think you know where I'm going. Yeah. So I'm not a great person for that. So one of my biggest problems was uh, it was hard for me to detach from things. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that I became pretty numb to things too. And then certain little things would bother me forever and ever and ever. So I'm not a great person to ask that question to, but I would say um, definitely find something that you enjoy doing Mm -hmm. um, that you can focus on outside of work. Yeah. Yeah. Find a circle or group of friends, family, whatever it be, a uh, partner that you can really rely on. And I would honestly say, like, don't go home and vent to those people about all the terrible things that you heard. Because you're basically just putting that weight on them, mm-hmm. too. Um, and it's just, it's bringing up memories, you know. It's bringing up, you know, feelings that you had, anxiety, things like that. So don't don't go home and vent about those things either find something that you like to do. And, uh, I would say, and this is, it's almost impossible pretty much for anyone in the first responder world because there is such a shortage nowadays, but find that work life balance. I mean, yeah, they want you to come in for overtime and you know, they're busting your balls about it, but who cares? Like, you know, you've got a life too. You've got a family, you might have kids, you might have, you know, prior commitments don't don't put work in over that every single time i mean there are times where you're like yeah i mean i want to help my crew out and that's the big thing like you feel bad for the people that are stuck there Mm -hmm. when you already know that they're short or or whatever it may be but don't give up everything every single time that they call asking you to that's i mean it's the hardest thing to do because you want to help people including the people that you work with but it's also the thing that's going to burn you out the fastest. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. that's, that's good. Um, I know it's kind of hard to, I, I personally could not answer that question really. I like, I do my own thing when it comes to those hard calls, you know, we right. uh, grab a friend and a beer is kind of how we, how we say, 
You know, I so, hear you. Um, there, I know there's definitely a bunch of hotlines out there for those that are really struggling with stuff like this. But uh, mm-hmm. just like Drew said, you know, get a get a close group of friends. So on a positive yep. note, please share one more comical call for our listeners. And then I'll do my fancy little outro and we can call it good because we're rolling up on about 50 minutes now, which is perfect. So okay. off the top of your head, I know that I know you have hundreds of them, so it's probably hard to find, but yeah. go ahead and, 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 and do one more. <laughs> oh man. I like the first one came to me quick, but now I feel like, you know, anxious. I'm like, oh, I need to figure something good out. Uh, I don't know, man. Honestly, there's been so much crazy stuff in the entire life. I mean, 10 years, right? Mm, yeah, so there's it, just been so much crazy stuff. Um, so many crazy stories. I, I hate to disappoint you guys. Hey, it's and, all good. And you. <laughs> no, I can, I, I figured I that was going to happen. Like 10 years of, of, answering the phones for 911 i mean yeah you're gonna think of like 10 of them when you're lying in bed tonight for sure oh 100 percent. and then i'm gonna call you and be like is it too late <laughs> <laughs> we can add in we can do a part two right. <laughs> we can do like a part two yeah. of just straight comical stories you just got to write them all down <laughs> god we may have to because i mean it's it's insane some of the things that you hear and you're just like is this am i awake like am i alive right now or is, <laughs> is this, this happening one <laughs> yeah is this one big dream? Because I don't know what's actually happening. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I can yeah. imagine that, man. That's crazy. It is. Well, I, Hey, I appreciate everything that uh, we've gone over. It's this, like I said, this was the first uh, career spotlight episode I'm doing. So you're, you're number one. You're the first one to do it. With yeah, me. boy. Yeah. And you're the first one to call in while I'm figuring out all this technology with my new shit. <laughs> hey, I'm just happy to be here for you, man. Heck yeah. Like maybe, maybe we'll do like a, a collab one day if I can like get you and, uh, Alex's husband. I won't say his name cause I didn't say his uh-huh. name. Officer Taser actually. That's his name. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's Officer right. Taser. <laughs> uh, if we can get him on with you and we'll just do this little, like a three-way combo while we're drinking, that would be awesome. Yep. You'll have to free up about three hours, and it's mostly going to be me hurting his feelings the whole time. That'll so. be fine. Like I know three yeah. hours, it hits like a megabyte limit, and like <laughs> the app I use doesn't <laughs> let me upload, so it'll be like a part one and part two, but let's oh. do that. We'll do that one day. I, I'm absolutely here for it. So. It'll be fire, police, and dispatch <laughs> all on one oh, call. Oh, man. <laughs> that that would be like awesome. Total shit show. Right? Hey, no, that's what right. our listeners like, man. That's right. That's my life. They love total unstructured stuff, which is exactly what this podcast is. <laughs> I dig it. I love it. All right, everyone. Well, that's all I have. That is my friend Drew, uh, dispatcher. So if you're interested in applying for a dispatch position after this episode, please do so. And I wish you all the best luck. Uh, remember to like and share and subscribe to the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at smalltown.famous. Uh, If you'd like to donate to the podcast, there's a link in the main bio of the podcast. And if you're able to on your platform, leave a five-star rating and only five stars, because if you don't, I will come find you. And uh, that's all I have. And I appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.